This is the Saxo Market Call. Daily insights on what is moving the financial markets. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call. It's Friday, 13th of January, 2023. And uh, just a, almost a delicious irony that we get CPI data that's exactly in line with expectations. And that was quite a frenzy of activity after the release. We saw markets all over the place, so almost across the board, both back and forth. Generally ending the day higher on the equity index, although we're testing some really major resistance levels, uh, some areas we've been talking about. But more specifically, if you look at our, our slide deck today, slide two there, the S&P 500 future. And do note the cash index is a bit lower because of the uh, uh, fair value issue there. So uh, the cash never touched above 4,000 yesterday and closed almost right on the 200-day moving average. But you can see on the on the future, the 200-day moving average also coming into the picture here, just above 4,000 for that uh, instrument or that measure of the S&P 500. And we have the 61.8% retracement, just a tad higher. It really does look like a critical area where it's, it's make or break for this attempt to reestablish uh, some sort of upside uh, do know there's nothing magic about the 200-day moving average. We did uh, sort of test it on a couple of occasions back uh, late last year, and those both of those attempts uh, failed. But, um, yeah, really pivotal stuff. We saw U.S. yields coming off the market, deciding that the inflation, even though it was in line and maybe the market was leaning for a bit more uh, weakness there, that um, – the market deciding that even though uh, perhaps the, the market was leaning for something even softer than what we got, which was a softening of the inflationary pressures in this data mix, that uh, it was it was benign. So uh, we we rallied, but it's, it's not very convincing yet uh, in terms of those pivotal levels as noted. Uh, and then also interesting to note, so the VIX just uh, pounding lower, sub-19 on the day. We're getting close to some really massive lows for uh, implied volatility in this market. Financial conditions just easing and easing and easing. Not at all what the Fed wants, no doubt. We see also uh, corporate credit, high-yield credit spreads at uh, new, uh, new tightness for the cycle. And just put up a little refresh of our, our Saxo uh, Global Risk Indicator on slide three. You can see that we're pretty solidly into risk on territory here as well. And then uh, before I get over to you, Ola, because we've got a lot of movements in your space, particularly on gold, hitting some really, really key levels for just like with the equities uh, and just like with the U.S. 10 years, uh, uh, the yields hitting to, uh, close to those cycle uh, lows, we have uh, uh, that market looking pivotal as well. But just uh, slicing and dicing this inflation figure a bit here. So I put up on slide four. Uh, what I think are a few interesting highlights in this report. And I think one of the main ones, one of the main takeaways and why the market decided this was benign and we sent uh, especially long U.S. Treasury yields lower. Two-year also hitting a slight new low. I think 4.13% was where we uh, traded to and even slightly below that intraday yesterday. This is a measure, the chart is a measure of, well, two things. The blue line being the official owner's equivalent rent. This notorious and quite heavily weighted aspect of inflation, which is a false measure. It's not a market measure. It's some sort of measure and uh, statistical concoction of what your house could be rented for. And you can see that it's advancing at a record pace, supposedly, in December, 7.5% year on year. That's that so-called shelter component in the official BLS table there. But a, a more sort of free market measure would be actual prices in the market. Imagine that. Uh, Zillow, which is the sort of the leading online rental uh, marketplace uh, in the U.S., some of their measures are showing actual declines month on month. And although the current year-on-year -year figure is similar to the official OER, the, you can see how much we've come down from the, the peak um, uh, pace of these, these gains in the rental market. So 
that direction change and tremendous direction change is not at all reflected in the OER, which is set to come down and come down sharply eventually once this uh, lagging effect is uh, finally out of the picture in the months ahead. The used cars and trucks also down 9%. This was the, one of the things that aggravated inflation on the way up. And then on the energy side, uh, oil in your space. So we see the gasoline prices uh, very much linked to oil actually slightly down uh, year on year and a huge uh, drop on the uh, the December uh, specific figure. But still, I guess the energy services side of that and the fuel oil is related to the whole power and, and, and re, uh, resetting of natural gas prices. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we got the uh, natural gas prices coming down uh, still. Um, I got a slide later on. Just but on a year-on-year -year basis, it's that comparison. That's, of course, yeah, that's true. And uh, interesting to see what's uh, going to happen you know, in, the, in the following weeks, because obviously there is uh, there are signs that we're starting to see a pickup, uh, not only in crude oil price, but even more so in, in uh, gasoline prices. Um, uh, so, so yeah, question is whether we, we're getting close to a, to a low point from where we potentially could see some, some strength again. Yeah. And then in the FX space, so the big mover, and ironically, this had absolutely nothing to, to do with the US CPI release, although its actual release did help accelerate the development, was the stronger yen. Uh, we saw a number of developments, expectations uh, raise, rising rapidly for the Bank of Japan to further tweak its policy next Wednesday. Some of the stories I, I mentioned in yesterday's podcast. Uh, and the move was a sort of unfolding the yen strengthening move uh, quite solidly before the CPI release. And again, it was aggravated by the uh, weaker dollar uh, and lower U.S. rates. In the wake of that release, slide five, you can see dollar yen punching down to new lows below the prior uh, low watermark there. And really opening up a lot of space in the chart. There's a minor 126, I think it's 35 uh, level down there. It was a prior small pivot low from way back in, let's call it uh, May, June of last year. And 125, maybe the next psychological level. And uh, yeah, so the dollar weaker across the board. This is helping, uh, I think a lot of this is the dollar yen flow helping the euro dollar also higher. We saw it uh, breaking well above 108. And if we roll forward again to slide six, I think some interesting perspective here on where we are in something like the spreads for, uh, you know, equivalent, what was historically more the, the zero and negative yielding countries. So something like, uh, German yields, the German yield spreads versus uh, the Japanese yield spread. So here I have the 30-year in red. Just This is sort of supposedly the free market area of the Japanese yield curve, only at a 45 uh, basis point um, a premium to uh, – sorry, uh, German yields are only at a 45 basis points premium to uh, Japanese yields. But you see because of the Japanese yield cur curve control, the so-called ban, but really what effectively is a cap on the 10 years, uh, at 50 basis points um, means that as Germany has headed above 200 basis points, that spread uh, rose above 200 basis points. is coming in fast, uh, A, because German yields are falling rapidly, and B, because Japanese yields are rising towards that band, and we're even challenging above the band overnight. We traded as high as 57 basis points on the Japanese 10 years uh, this, uh, this morning, JGBs. So... And a further tweak is going to further crush that spread. It further moves the Japanese uh, yen higher if they decide to go with, it, let's say, a 25 basis point uh, further, raise the band or a 50 basis point. There's more potential there. And you can see the remarkable spread on the two-year at almost 250 basis points due to the ECB's hawkishness. But the market looking at the near-term potential for the Japan to move further, and Urien is, is dropping rapidly here. So very interesting to see what they deliver uh, next week. But over to your space, or the, the big focus, I guess, in terms of uh, 
uh, in terms of the direct impact from the CPI is clearly on the metals market, and especially interesting to see gold challenging these these really pivotal levels. Indeed, and uh, gold and uh, copper out. And if you look at uh, slide eight here, just put in the. Uh, uh, the, the price action we've seen so far this year in in, in these two metals, and there's no doubt that the 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 the, uh, the combination of the weaker dollar that you uh, just talked about highlighted there, John, and the uh, recovery in in Chinese economy or expectations for a recovery over the coming months has really been the main drivers uh, to the point that we're now starting to see, I'll say, both metals getting close to some uh, some levels where we where there's a heightened risk of a a period of consolidation starting to emerge. We just saw. Gold uh, briefly peak above 1900. We are back above again to today, uh, but as you can see, we RSI as well is running pretty, pretty hot here, and it's coming at a time where we're still not seeing any pickup in demands for ETFs. Uh, physical demand in uh, India, according to Reuters report yesterday, dropped almost 80 percent year on year uh, last month, and uh, India is obviously one of the most price sensitive, uh, price sensitive countries when it comes to uh, gold buying, and also very important. Uh, so. Um, I think you you all know our, our views on on metals. We are bullish for the year, but uh, I think also we are we are starting to get a little bit concerned about uh, potential pullback here in the short term. I just also just for for information put in the table for the year to date performance. Just you can just take a look at that. I'll highlight some of that more more of that in in today's uh, weekly commodity update, which will be out later, and you can find that on the, on my Twitter feed and on the on the on the net. If I just uh, should carry on, uh, John, because we talked about uh, gas prices earlier and we talked about the energy prices. Uh, crude oil obviously had a good start to the year. Uh, following that initial sell-off, uh, we, we recovered strongly this week with uh, with, the de- with the demand for, for from China, the world's biggest importer, starting to improve. But at the same time, we have another very, very key source of energy, natural gas, just simply falling off a cliff once again. And uh, it is to do with the warm weather that we're seeing across the northern hemisphere. Not only here in Europe, where the energy crisis, at least for now, has been been uh, partly called off because the gas prices are well below uh, 100 euros again. Um, we got a cold front coming in, but it's coming quite late in the winter, so it's probably not going to have a major impact. But just look at the uh, the, the the U.S. gas market. Yesterday we had the weekly uh, inventory stock report out, and for the first time ever uh, for this time of year, we saw stock built, which is just completely unheard of. And it just highlights the uh, not only robust production in the U.S. LNG shipments starting to slow a bit because we are we are asking for less gas here in Europe because our own storage levels are full, and uh, at the same time, just simply that uh, the the heating demand is is uh, way down. So uh, so um, U.S. gas is uh, is cheap. Um, it's good for the rest of the world because obviously there's plenty of it to export. But uh, it's incredible how long producers they they, they continue to feel that that uh, these uh, these prices are are good levels. Yeah. Uh, no doubt about that. And uh, you mentioned that the WASDE report was coming up yesterday. The report on ending stocks, I guess, is the key thing. There was, there was, you were talking about that the stocks are the key focus here. We did see some pop in the grains. I imagine that must have been slightly bullish, the report. Yeah, we did indeed. And um, and it was basically the, the uh, downgrade to uh, to last year's production. Um, they continued to get numbers in, so they continued to, to, uh, to adjust. Uh, even though the harvest was done uh, months ago, so the production was downgraded, and primarily due to that uh, that drought we had uh, last year, and it seems like that is continuing in parts of uh, important parts of the U.S. Uh, gra- grain areas. So, um, so with the lower in production, we're obviously also seeing a lowering on the available stocks towards the end of this current uh, crop year. So, uh, corn was the uh, 
was the main driver, but uh, as you can see, soybeans, like, as an example, also gained traction recently from the reopening of China. So, so, um, so the, it just raises the risk that the the, the weakness that we've seen recently uh, in the grain market is probably getting close to um, we're probably close to a floor there until we get some more clarity about the uh, future production. Right now, where the market is focusing on on Argentina, where we have uh, the worst drought in sixty years, which is impacting uh, supply both of corn and soybeans. All right, then we roll forward to the earnings watch. Earnings picking up, as we've talked about so much with the big financials reporting today. Interesting to see their indication of of where they are in terms of lending. We know that their M&A and activity has dropped significantly, and that's been weighing on the uh, the results because of high interest rates uh, slowing down the whole deal pipeline. And then next week, a couple interesting names popping up besides the continuation of big financial names. Uh, United Airlines is coming up on Tuesday. Uh, in the U.S., and then we have later in the week, uh, Netflix, an interesting one there. It's, it's it's really achieved a significant recovery. Where does it uh, look, or where does the outlook sit relative to that to the scale of that recovery? And uh, a big oil services company, the biggest in the U.S., uh, Schlumberger, also reporting that one on Friday. All right, let's look at the, uh, the macro calendar. And really important here, especially because this uh, Japanese yen situation is becoming a rather significant, even cross-market uh, uh, achieving a, a potential cross-market potential with the, the types of moves we're seeing here. So we have a big Bank of Japan meeting next week. You could argue there is sort of a, a some scaled-down version of the 2015 S&B uh, walking away from its cap potential. It's not generally the Bank of Japan style. It's certainly not Kuroda style to do something like that, to just say, let's uh, let's let this thing rip, and, and we just completely lift the band on 10-year JGBs. But then again, last time around, we weren't expecting anything, and we, we got something. So there's a lot of nervousness, and I'm sure there's a lot of options flow going in for optionality around that event next Wednesday. Yes, so <laughs> safe to say next Wednesday's Bank of Japan meeting is the key event risk. Do note that today we have probably the most hawkish Fed speaker who's a voter this year speaking of the Fed's Kashkari, and he's actually been quite explicit that he really does, uh, does not like the easing of financial conditions. He does not like the equity market uh, trying to rally, uh, sort of explicitly almost uh, seems to want to have a third rail of Fed policy being that we keep um, that we keep the market down in some way. So interesting to see how he comes out speaking today. We get the first sentiment survey from the University of Michigan sentiment survey in the U.S. We've talked a little bit about employer sentiment versus employee sentiment. The latter still hanging in there strong as their impression is that this is a very strong uh, jobs market. And Harker out speaking as well. He's a voter this year. He was out uh, yesterday talking about 25 basis points uh, releases uh, or sorry, hikes from the Fed, sort of confirming that that's what they're set to do. But um, and the market was trying to react to that. But I, 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 there's no big surprise in that. And he's considered more at the dovish end. Brainerd is probably the, one of the chief doves, but he's uh, also the dovish stripes and Kashkari is the opposite extreme. So interesting to see that set up. And for the U.S., at least, we have a three-day uh, weekend this week, uh, this weekend with the holiday on Monday, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, day. And again, Bank of Japan meeting next week. A couple other interesting data points, including the, the first uh, or the next uh, NAHB Housing Market Index survey from the U.S. Norris Bank probably looking towards their last rate hike of the cycle, they will argue. Uh, interesting to see that in light of the, the Nokia weakness. And then the Fed's uh, chief, Dove Brainerd, out speaking next Thursday. So lots to keep track of. We're barreling into earnings season with uh, markets poised at these really key levels. Interesting to see how this uh, shakes out in the days and weeks ahead. We'll uh, be there with you to, to see how things turn out. And we'll be back Monday with the next.
Saxo Market Call. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com. <laughs>